0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome back to another episode of the Career Contessa podcast, your shortcut to being more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. I'm your host, Laura McGoodwin. For many employees, the key motivator for being happy at work is a sense of purpose. And yet, more than half of those surveyed said that they are not even somewhat passionate about their jobs. Yale professor, Dr. Jessica Weiland, is here to share the three drivers behind workplace satisfaction, how to define your own values at work and why a change in your ambition is actually a good thing. Lastly, if you want to make an impact for our show, do us a favor and screenshot your podcast player right now with this episode, and then share it on Instagram and tag at Career Contessa. We will reshare it. Okay. And now this is the Career Contessa podcast. We spend a large portion of our lives at work and our society is full of conflicting messages about what we should expect in terms of our happiness at work, such as, do you want to love the work that you do and you'll never work a day in your life versus work isn't supposed to be fun. That's why it's called work. To help us understand what drives happiness at work and then create careers that include more of that, I invited Yale professor, Dr. Jessica Wyland to the show. Hi, Dr. Jessica. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Okay, let's start with your career path and actually how it led you to focus on helping organizations be more quote human.
1: Sure. So I've always been interested in human growth and development. After finishing my master's in social work, I I started my career as a psychotherapist, actually specializing in working with both survivors and perpetrators of sexual violence. And when I went back for my PhD, I had the opportunity to work closely with the dean of the school. And that was really kind of a career-defining experience for me because though I had always been interested in organizational behavior and leadership development, that was her area of scholarship. So I really had the opportunity to dive deep and explore the literature, do some research myself do some organizational consulting on the side. And I really loved that work. And when I graduated, I realized that I was more interested in applied leadership as opposed to the research side of things. And so I started my career, I started my kind of postdoctoral career doing higher education administration. So had a few different roles, served as the assistant dean of students at Washington University in St. Louis, and then ended up at Yale both as a professor in the child study center, but then also worked for a while as the director of professional standards doing in-house organizational consulting and leadership coaching in the medical school. So I think you know, the thread that really weaves through this whole experience is my perspective. And so, like I said, I started, you know I'm a social worker and what makes social work different as opposed to other fields is an understanding of individuals within the context of their greater environment, right? And so when I talk about organizations being more human centered, I really mean two things by this. And and one of them is that it's impossible to understand employees without understanding their larger social ecology, right? So what's going on outside of our work lives matters. So, you know, is somebody a single mom? Are they struggling with infertility? are they taking care of aging parents all of these circumstances are going to impact how we show up at work right and and that seems really obvious but the way we structure our organizations it's not always apparent that like they really understand that and for me the second part of that it's not just that employees have lives outside of work it's that these experiences make them like better and more dynamic employees And, you know, I think that second part really hit home for me when, when I became a mom that led to a big shift in my identity. And, you know, I I can think through several examples of, of how that was true for me. And so, you know, that, that's part of the focus of my work is working moms, but it's not just working moms. Like I said, I think the thread that weaves through is understanding that organizations need to become more human centered to attract and retain their top talent. Absolutely.
0: I mean, there's that saying, you bring your human to work, right? (laughs) That there's that same for a reason. I think long gone are the days of work is work and life is life. And you keep those two worlds separate, just like many of us probably bring our work home with us. I think the idea of being happy at work means different things today to people than it used to. I think it probably in a long time ago when there was more of a, a definition or a defined separation between the two maybe it meant money, right? Like your salary. But today it truly, I think means like if I'm going to spend this many working hours away from these other things in my life, I need to have some sort of happiness. And I think the problem with that question is it always leads people to ask the bigger question of like, what are the things that define happiness? And I remember we had a positive psychologist on the show once. And she said the 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 struggle with the word happiness is that it's this emotion that you can experience 20 times a day versus like a constant state. And so we have this thing that we're striving for, which is happiness at work, but we're sort of maybe not thinking about it the correct way. And I know this is something that you talk about. You also have a newsletter because I'm sure you didn't have enough things going on. You started a (laughs) newsletter. It's actually fantastic. We'll link to it in the show notes. It's called A Cup of Ambition. And you mentioned that one of the questions you're asked the most about is how can I be happier at work? What do you say to these people?
1: Yeah. So speaking from both personal experience and the literature, we are happiest when we are doing work that aligns with our values. Decades of business research finds that leaders who are attuned to their core values build more trusting relationships. And teams that share similar values report greater group cohesion and job satisfaction. And on the flip side of that, when there's some sort of discrepancy in values, that can be one of the most demoralizing and really hardest to solve causes of burnout. So, you know, one of the things I I recommend to people, and I have all of my coaching clients do this when we start, is complete a values inventory. So, values are tricky, right? Like, we know we have them, but we very rarely intentionally reflect on what they are. And so, I recommend sitting down, take 20 minutes, and really write out like your five to seven core values. What are those principles that really define who you are? And, and then write like a one or two sentence description of what that word means to you. And I would say that like nine times out of 10, when someone's unhappy in their job, there's some sort of values misalignment. What are some examples of values? I think my struggle, and I've
0: asked people on the show this before. So I like putting you guys on the spot a little bit because I'm a visual learner. And so one of the things I love is like, I like to see examples. So like, what are some examples of values that your clients come up with?
1: Yeah, sure. I always provide people with a list because I'm the same way. It's like, yeah. and it's very abstract, right? So it's yes. helpful to have examples. <laughs> so it really varies, you know, for some people. I mean, for me personally, I have a value around connection, right? It's really important for me that I feel connected to other people in a way that's meaningful. I have a value around introspection. So it's important for me to really you know, be thoughtful and examine who I am and the choices I'm making in my life. But you know, I mean, values really can run the gamut, integrity, truth, balance,
2: the possibilities are, are endless. The Career Contessa podcast is supported by our friends at Dropbox. Are you ready to delve into the world of remote work the remotely curious podcast from dropbox is back for a brand new season asking all the questions about hybrid remote or as dropbox calls it virtual first work in this brand new season host tiffany jones brown explores the challenges and realities of the changing work landscape with the help of experts from various fields from a time management expert providing tips on finding balance amidst constant distractions To a fashion historian discussing the changing role of our work attire, this podcast covers a wide range of topics relevant to today's workforce. You'll also hear from guests like Olivia Berkman, Angela Garbs, Katie Milkman, and Gloria Mark, whose work is at the center of our changing culture. As we navigate the hybrid, remote, and virtual-first work environments, it can be so overwhelming to keep up. But Remotely Curious is here to offer relatable conversations, insights, and perspectives to help you figure it all out. Whether you're working from home, commuting, part-time, or turning to the office, this podcast has something for everyone. So what are you waiting for? Tune in to Remotely Curious on your favorite podcast app or visit remotely-curious.com to join the conversation and explore the world of remote work. With insightful guests, engaging topics, and practical advice, this season is not to be missed. Take the first step towards a more fulfilling and successful work life by listening today.
1: Hey friends, my name is Olivia Perez and I'm an entrepreneur, journalist, and the host of the Friend of a Friend podcast. Every Monday, I meet with some of today's youngest and brightest entrepreneurs to make space to tell their stories and shine a light on who I believe to be the next generation of luminaries. I'll interview up-and-comers and game changers from brand builders to personalities, activists, artists, and thought leaders from around the world. Each episode lets you be a fly on the wall during one of the greatest pep talks, like a conversation between you and a friend or a friend of a friend. See you there. So you also had written
0: about, you found kind of these three characteristics that drive work satisfaction, and they were purpose, autonomy and relationships. I would love if you could explain each of those because that also made a lot of sense to me when I was thinking about values. I was thinking about those three words also and I was like, yes, those those words that also drive satisfaction. I'm very much aligned with those. But can you explain what you meant by each of those?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we can start with purpose. So, you know, really since the beginning of like recorded history, people have searched for the greater meaning, right? It's very human to want to feel like what we're doing matters. And we spend a lot of time at work. So for some people, this is very clear, you know, and these are often people who talk about their work as being a calling. And so, you know, if you think about people in healthcare, right, these are people that feel that there's inherent meaning in curing patients or, you know, helping people get better, or you hear teachers talk about the meaning that they feel, you know, guiding the next generation. But you don't have to be like curing cancer to find meaning in your work, right? I worked with a client who actually felt kind of disconnected from her organization's mission. She, you know, ran a section of a business in charge of retail sales. And she kind of questioned, you know, what what is the meaning of this work? But she found great purpose in her role as a manager and took a lot of satisfaction in helping to mentor more junior employees. So there are different ways that we can create meaning. And there's a there's actually a study from a colleague of mine at Yale in the School of Management, Amy Resneski, and some of her colleagues looking at hospital custodians. And so this is a group that I think most people would agree like this is not the most glamorous profession out there, but they interviewed these custodians and what they found was that the people, the custodians were most satisfied in their work were those who tied into a larger mission. And so those who spoke about themselves as helping create the environment in which people can heal were more satisfied in their job. And there's one anecdote from the study that I just love, and it's of a, a custodian who would go into the rooms of patients who were comatose and move around the pictures in the room, thinking that maybe that would help, you know, stimulate something or or help with the healing, right? And so this, this was not part of this person's formal job description, but it was something that they did to make their work more meaningful to them. And so, you know, I think that there's a lot of lessons we can learn from that, Moving on to the autonomy piece, you know, I think this has become particularly important in our post-pandemic world. Yes, absolutely. Uh, (laughs) You know, and, and when I talk about autonomy, what I'm talking about is the degree of control that employees have over their ability to make decisions about their job. And one of the ways that this shows up a lot, especially now, is flexibility, right? Like survey after survey shows people want more flexibility. And there was one survey in particular, that looked at like knowledge workers and almost 60% of respondents said that flexibility was more important than salary or benefits, right? So this is like really resonating with people right now. People don't want to be micromanaged, right? That undermines their sense of competence. If they feel like somebody's always looking over their shoulder and, and if they don't have the ability to make decisions, whether, you know, either because of a micromanaging boss or because of just kind of large bureaucratic like the rules of
0: the workplace too. Like you have to be here three days a week and those are the rules. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, and again, I think for most people, this need for autonomy is tied to a sense of competence, right? Like people want to feel trusted that they can make decisions about how they work in a way that works for them. So that's the second piece. And then the third piece, which really is not to be underestimated is relationships. You know, by the time we enter the working world, when we're in our early 20s, we spend significantly more time with our colleagues than we do with our non work friends. And from ages 30 to 55, we spend approximately equal time with our colleagues as we do with our partner. So that's a lot of time. (laughs) A lot of time we're spending with our colleagues, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And so it's no wonder that this is like a major driver of satisfaction at work. Some people might be familiar with the the employee engagement survey that Gallup puts out. They asked several questions about workplace engagement. And one of the ones that they found that is maybe my favorite question that they ask is, do you have a best friend at work? And people who say that they have a best friend at work are more engaged. And this is particularly true for women who are like those who have a best friend at work are more than twice as likely to be engaged. Yeah, I can
0: attest to that like having and I think people aren't in love with this term anymore but I'm going to use it because I feel like it represents my relationship. It's like a work wife. Like I absolutely had a work wife, like a work best friend. The one I had before, we're still friends. She was a, a bridesmaid in my wedding. You know, like truly like became one of my best friends and I understand what you mean about we absolutely do spend more time with these people and you build. And also there's a relationship based off of that you build with the people you work with that you like once you're out of school, it's not that you can't have that relationship with your still your best friend, but they don't understand as much of the context, right? Like this person also understands when you're talking about Joe and accounting, they're like, Yeah, I know about Joe and accounting, you know, that kind of thing. So I totally understand why it's a bonding activity. I also think that toxic workplaces are, and the real bad toxic relationships are one of the reasons why people are so unhappy in workplaces, and why, and I think we started to see more and more people talking about that and sharing about you know, behavior that their bosses or coworkers were doing, especially I felt like during COVID, that was becoming more of a thing to share on social media where other people were like, no, that's not normal. And we actually just had someone leave a comment on our Instagram and she said she's in her mid forties and she's finally in a workplace where everybody treats everyone with respect. She really enjoys working there and that she didn't know it could exist. And in your experience, you coach a lot of clients. Would you say that most workplaces the relationships are so pretty healthy or that most places yeah it's a, they're toxic and people have to work their way out of there to find you know good relationship workplaces
1: i think it really depends it's hard to kind of say more broadly than that other than it, it depends i think the people who are happiest in their role as we've already talked about are the people who are who feel connected and and feel appreciated so maybe when you're interviewing or thinking about
0: whatever you want to do next you kind of start there and work your way backwards like where are the places where people are gonna have more of a purpose or maybe the company is really clear on what their values are and they're promoting that and they're maybe probably being better about hiring for value fit versus just culture fit and you can kind of work backwards from there. Cause I think ultimately I agree with everything you're saying. I think ultimately people say, well how can I make sure that I find a workplace that has that and then you know the struggle is is that not every workplace promotes their values or shares their values in the job description. And so you kind of have to do this working backwards exercise to really find. That's why I'm a, a huge advocate of when you're job searching, search for companies first and then jobs second because I think to your point finding those companies is is where you'll find more engaged and happier employees, better
1: relationships, and then everything kind of falls into place. You're you're so right. You know, and it, it's difficult often to know upfront what you're getting into because when you're interviewing, you know, they're putting on a little bit of a glossy sheen, like you don't yeah. know exactly what you're getting. And one question that it, it actually comes from Adam Grant, who's a professor at Wharton, that he recommends people ask is tell me a story about something that can only happen here. And so, if you ask that question in, in, in an interview, it really can elicit some really important information and and I actually asked this question at a workshop that I did and the answers were really interesting one woman spoke about returning to work after her mother died and how she was just enveloped in this caring community colleagues had gotten together ahead of time to think about you know kind of smaller projects they could take off her plate Somebody brought her a plant, people brought her baked goods, you know. I mean, she really, it was this like very visceral experience for her of being taken care of. And, you know, somebody else talked about, you know, a really toxic scenario she was in at her company. So that kind of question I think can can get at, you know, what's it really like here?
2: As you know, this small biz month, we've teamed up with Adobe Express to bring you the tips and tricks to use today in order to elevate your business or brand. Our small business tip of the week is to develop a cohesive visual style and messaging for your brand. Part of brand building is visual cues and consistency. Developing a cohesive visual style and tone for your brand, as well as designing content assets to match, is so important. Adobe Express makes it easy to design a consistent style and brand identity across all your marketing. It has thousands of free, beautiful templates covering everything you'd need from designing your logo to social content, flyers, event invites, and more. And with Adobe Express, you can make everything all in one place easily, including removing photo backgrounds, animating text, and adding your brand color scheme to any asset with one push of a button. So how do you build a cohesive brand? Well, it starts with your logo, which you can design in Adobe Express without needing a graphic designer. Next is the color palette for your brand and fonts. Adobe Express makes it super easy to achieve that kind of instant brand familiarity with color schemes and fonts while reflecting your brand's unique personality and message. If you already have your own brand colors, logos and fonts and everything, you can upload them as a brand kit right in Adobe Express. Then you can apply your brand kit to any template with the click of a button. Otherwise, you can build a custom brand kit to easily apply to any template. Choose from more than 18,000 fonts, making it simple to find the right typography for your brand. Adobe Express has another cool tool to help you achieve your desired color palette. With the eyedropper tool, you can sample colors from an image to create a color palette. With this saved brand profile, you'll be able to easily customize any template to reflect your unique brand image for a consistent look and feel across all your marketing content. And Adobe Express makes designing content so easy for any skill level. Seriously, it's made for anyone and design skills are not required. Whether you are a career-driven superstar, entrepreneur, small business owner, or running a side hustle, you can all start creating and bring your brand vision to life. For free with Adobe Express. Adobe Express is available on all your favorite app stores. Plus, tips and tricks to get you started are available at Adobe.com/slash Express.
0: And what about for people who are in a workplace right now and maybe they're at that pivotal moment where they're trying to decide: do I stay here? Do I go look for something else? Is there a way for you to decipher if you can make it work here, if it's maybe not so bad, if maybe you just need to do a little of your own homework versus like, this is a broken workplace and you have to get out? Yeah.
1: You know, I think that I actually, it's fairly common that that clients are coming to me with those kinds of questions, right? Like, can I make this work? Or, or is it time to go? You know, I think looking for any like values misalignments, because that's different than just like things that are annoying or irritating to you, right? Those values right. misalignment are, like I said, a little bit harder to, to move past. So so scanning for those and, you know, really getting clear on what are your priorities right now in your career. I talk a lot about different seasons in your career, that the decision you make now isn't necessarily, you know, the decision you're making forever which again, you know, seems obvious, but we tend to, when we're making big decisions, think about this as like this big decision that's going to have these huge ramifications forever. And that may or may not be the case, right? So I think getting some clarity about like, what are your priorities right now at this stage, knowing that that may change in the future. Yeah, the whole, why are we here? doesn't have to be, why am I
0: here at this workplace for the rest of my life? Just maybe why am I here at this chapter or stage in my life? That actually brings up a good question I had. So you had mentioned that when you became a mom, it, you know, kind of became a huge shift in your career. I've actually experienced the same type of thing. And I'm sure I'm sure I experienced it maybe right out of college too. any big pivotal life moment where I felt like when I got out of college, it increased my ambition, right? Like I became extremely ambitious. I really wanted something. I really wanted to work hard. I kind of wanted to like give my life to a company. And now that I'm a mom and I have two under the age of two, it's so much work and it's a lot of mental gymnastics with all of that. And I feel like my ambition, maybe it's not that it has slowed down, but it's changed and maybe it's paused a little bit or I don't know. It's I almost have this question sometimes where I'm like, what is happening to my ambition? I mean, this is obviously a topic that you talk about in your newsletter, which is called a cup of ambition. Like, (laughs) how do you deal with these moments or like, what what are we supposed to do
1: (laughs) in these moments? Yeah, yeah. So I love that question and I you know, people sometimes ask me like what like what is up with the title of this newsletter? And so I always say it comes most directly from the Dolly Parton song 9 to 5. There's a cup about pour myself a line about pour myself a cup of ambition. So, you know, it's meant to be kind of cheeky and fun. But It also was inspired by an offhanded comment that my boss made to me when I was pregnant. So before going out on leave with my first child, I had spent almost a year designing this new program at the university I worked, you know, did a lot of research into it, talked to a lot of both internal and external stakeholders and, you know, had this big proposal. And I was walking into my boss's office to find out if it was going to be greenlighted or not. And it was, which was great. And, you know, my hope was that I would be the one to lead it. And, you know, she, she said to me, you know, Jessica, this job is yours. If you want it, you're clearly qualified for it, but I want you to think about, you know, once the baby comes, whether you, you really want it. And, you know, and I looked at her like, what are you talking about? Right. Like I wanted this so badly. And, you know, she was like, you may find that you're less ambitious and I was horrified. Right? Yeah, I was gonna say, I mean, please don't like, say that to
0: people who are pregnant, especially first time moms, like, because
1: you're like, yeah. you are
0: hitting a trigger point with that, right? <laughs> I yeah. mean,
1: and I know she, I mean, I, I do believe she had like well-meaning intentions and she was a mom herself, but like, what kind of sexist bullshit was that? Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I like was irked by this and I couldn't quite shake it for a long time. And it's interesting because what I found once I became a mom, it's not that I became less ambitious. It's that my my definition of success changed, right? So ambition really means like striving for success, right? Like being successful. And it's not that I wanted to be any less successful. It's just that what success meant was more expansive, right? Like, yeah. Before becoming a mom, it was really tied to external markers yes, of achievement, Absolutely. right? Yes, like totally. The next degree, the next promotion. Yeah. And all of that, it's not that it wasn't important, but it was less important. And yeah. I, I cared about my career and having a meaningful career, of course, but I also cared about being like an involved mom. Yeah, It just became more expansive. And I think things kind of clicked into perspective a little bit more. And so I, I think... Yeah, I just, you know, I, there are so many articles out there about like, I'm losing my ambition. What does ambition mean in a post-pandemic world? And it's not about ambition. For me, it's more about, it's a, it's a changing definition of success. And that changes, I mean, whether you become a parent or not, I think our definition of success evolves across the lifespan and leaving some room and space to to really define what that means to you in each kind of chapter of your life. I I think is important.
0: Yeah. I think you've defined it perfectly even for me too, because I think I've struggled with the word ambition a little bit, but to your point, it's actually, I'm just redefining my definition of success. And I agree when I was younger, it was very much on external things as I've gotten older, it's less on external things. And also one thing I've noticed for me is I have to have a sense of control in my career. I think with kids and all the stuff that comes with them, you can lack some control there. And so for me, a career has actually been come almost like more important because it's this thing I'm choosing to spend my time with and I know what I want to get out of it. Whereas before, and I think this is with all working parents is your time becomes just so valuable and you're like wanting to be really, (laughs) really proactive about where you spend it and how you spend it. And so it's been an interesting experiment, especially being focused on this work, similar to you, where it's like until you're in it, you don't quite get that, but also I feel better where I'm at today because my definition of success is less on these external factors that felt like a treadmill that was like constantly someone was just speeding it up. So, so you know, there there's there's pros and cons. And I think everyone goes through a, a different experiment or experience. I mean, and I'm sure as your kids go older, it's something different too. And so I think this is it's kind of this like good warm-up of maybe not being overly tied to something too. I think I've become a lot more flexible in the way I think things can be done or should be done. Whereas when I was younger,
1: it was like, get your job, do this, do this. You know, you felt like it was very linear, right? Totally. And Lauren, you're so right. And that's what I'm talking about when I said earlier that these external to work experiences make us better at our job i'm the same way i also became much more flexible in my thinking and much more able to like roll with the punches yes yeah Since becoming a mom right and like that's changed who i am but that also helps me in the workplace yes. right like that ability to be more flexible and to be more patient and all the other ways that i've changed have made me a better employee and i think that we often hide that we hide the way that parenthood changes us or other experiences. Yeah. It's not just parenthood, it's other life experiences. We hide that when not only should it be acknowledged, but I believe it should be celebrated.
0: Yeah, I would agree too. I think there's this this huge thing out there where it's like working moms is a disadvantage where I'm like, no, it's the advantage. Like you <laughs> you know uh, like I I I hope we can start that rumor and it becomes a thing because society is also on board with with telling us that working parents work less. They're not as ambitious, you know, quote, unquote, ambitious mm-hmm. to your point. Yeah. What it really means is, is a standard view on success for that example. But yeah, I, I think all this is, you know, the whole idea of like, why are we here? and What builds happiness at work? I think it's important to determine your own values, try to align with a company that has those same values. And I I guess my last and final question is, since that was such a the, the key foundational part of this work is, How do you find out the values of a company if they're not like advertising it? Is it questions you ask in the interview? Is it you know? I know you you gave the example what Adam Grant described, but is there anything you can do externally before you get into that interview seat to kind of learn about a company's values?
1: If it's a bigger company and you you have some connections or distant connections there, trying to find out from people who currently work there or you know recently worked there and no longer do. You know, I think really cluing into some of the subtext during the interview process, and this is a time when I think I'm I'm a huge proponent of remote work, but I think interviewing is one instance where it's really valuable if you can be there in person to be there in person mm-hmm. to try to pick up on some of the interpersonal cues as to yeah, what's for going sure. on and get a sense of the culture. Right? So, you know, when you're being handed off from person to person, like what is their interaction like? if you are in a group interview this was big in higher education i know every field is different but i loved this as a candidate because i would be there with four or five different people and what i would be paying attention to is do these people know each other first yeah. of all do they, they cut like each, like other each other off yeah do they like yeah, each other right. mm-hmm. are they respectful is somebody dominating the conversation like I was always very attuned to some of those dynamics. You know, I can recall interviewing at places where it was like an admin who would take me from place to place. And I always paid attention to how are people interacting with that admin? Are they just like ignoring them altogether? Yeah. Or is there respect there? Because that that said something to me. So I think, you know, really cluing into some of those interpersonal interactions can give you a, a lot of information about the culture. Yeah, I love that. So we can all be
0: happier at work. We're gonna be spending this much time with all these people, (laughs) which we are. You gotta like them, yeah. (laughs) You gotta like them, and you know, ideally, work somewhere where you you've got some sort of purpose. And I agree with you. When I was an admin. I think people always felt I was an admin at a dental school and I think people always felt like all you do is answer the phones. It's like, no, think of all the anxious students that are applying for that dental school. And I'm the first face that they come and they, they see, like, I, I do remember, I didn't love that job, but I do remember thinking like, gosh, I am the first experience they have at this dental school and they want to get in and they're so nervous. And like, it's my job to, to help that, you know? And, um, I think that, it doesn't just have to be the medical field or education, which I know I just used a higher education example, but I, I think it it's fine what your purpose is in the work that you're doing. I think that's key. So, Jessica, can you tell people where they can find you, follow you,
1: mention your newsletter again and everything? You can find me at my newsletter, a cup of ambition. My coaching website is Jessica You can schedule a complimentary consultation through my website. And then I'm also on Instagram at Dr. Dr. Jessica Weiland. Amazing. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Career Contessa podcast. Don't forget to rate and review our show. If you need help figuring out your values, try our free workplace love language quiz to get a better sense of your values in the workplace. It's free and it's linked in the show notes. And thank you to Dr. Jessica Weiland for sharing her expertise today. You can sign up for her newsletter, A Cup of Ambition in the show notes.